Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, ClearCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates, and our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Welcome. I am Jill Hamilton, editor at Clearance Jobs. Thanks so much for joining us today as we chat with Chris Parrott from the United States Space Force. We're going to get to hear about key innovations for the Space Force and their human resources. So Chris, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Can you start us out and tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe what your career path has looked like and how you landed up here at the Space Force? Oh, well, it's fun. It's not typical. It's not traditional. That's for sure. I've been in human resources, so I'm the civilian HR director for the Space Force now. I've been in human resources since I was a sophomore in college, so a number of years, and I was always private sector. My husband had the opportunity to go overseas to Germany and said, hey, do you want to go for a couple of years? I thought, sure, this will be easy. It's human resources. You do HR anywhere. I'll get in, get a job. At that point, I'd already had a master's degree. I was middle management. I thought it was a pretty good catch at this point. And I had not worked for the federal government. So I had to get my foot in the door. I didn't know how impossible at the time to do it overseas was. And it took 123 job applications. And that's no exaggeration. I still have the spreadsheet for it. It was a lot of rejections. I ended up with only two interviews. And I I did not know what an uphill battle I was facing coming over there until I I finally got, I accepted a GS-5 position as an HR assistant and have been able to work my way up. So that was with the Army. And so one of the things that's pretty unique is we ended up overseas for eight and a half years. And so at that point, it wasn't just a couple of years and then you come back and plug right back into the private sector. And so having gained all this experience with the Army in both the operations side of the house and working for a command, I had the opportunity to come back and I've gotten to work for the Corps of Engineers, the Department of the Navy, Department of the Air Force at the OSD level, and then here to Space Force. What brought me to Space Force is I was coming out of my assignment at OSD, the at the Department of Defense level, doing HR transformation work. And HR transformation work is very exciting when you, you know some of the frustrations and the you know, the walls that you face and you're like, yes, we can do this better and we want to do it better. To be able to do that at a, at the, a department as big as the Department of Defense level is, is pretty invigorating, but can also come with its trials and challenges too. And so when the Space Force was standing up, a couple of my mentors said, this is where you need to go next to stand up a military department and take all of the goodness that we've been working on and, and apply it, like make this the test case and, and go do this. And so I was really fortunate. I got to meet our leadership and and connected right away with it. And they liked my philosophy. And and so that's what brought me to the Space Force. It was definitely not a traditional path where a lot of folks grow up and and they, you kind of have a, they, they like to do a lot of career mapping for you. And I didn't fit any of those molds because I didn't start out Army and grow up completely Army, or I didn't start out Air Force and grow up completely Air Force. And I, I kind of forged my own path to be able to get the experiences that I needed to equip me with being able to become the director today. That's amazing. I feel like the federal government does a great job in finding persistent people (laughs) in their hiring process. (laughs) If you can stick it out, we know you're the one for the job. (laughs) And it's really, it is kind of sad like that, actually. If you you think about it, it, that's not the message that you want to have. And how do you change that? And I know we get to talk about some hiring stuff here in a little bit, but in this workforce, in this day and age, with all of the opportunities that are out there, we've got to change that narrative. Right. It can't be the joke for too much longer or it's it's going to have major impacts going forward. 
think that's that's a good good point. And I also think it's a really great point, a really great thing that you've had so much experience with different military branches, especially when you're standing up a new military branch, just the wealth of knowledge that that brings to the table. I love how you're forging new paths, you know, as you're starting standing up a new branch, it all comes together. Thank you. Yeah, well, let's talk about hiring for the Space Force. What has that looked like so far at this point? So hiring at the Space Force, we are really fortunate Coming in, I realized that we have five core space occupations, and the five are on the military side of the house, all translate to the civilian side and have then corresponding like other paths that you could take to support as well. And so those five core career occupations are the five hardest in the entire federal government, not to mention hot buttons for the, the private sector as well. And so I think we've been very fortunate even with as hard as these career fields are, to have such interest in being able to stand up the first military department, you know, in over 70 years, people gravitate towards that and wanting to be part of, of that, that stand up, that startup. And so we've had a lot of interest, but we know that that's not going to last long and you can only ride the coattails of startup for so long. So the hiring has been, candidly, it's been overwhelming, especially because you have, you have a, a workforce that is, again, standing up, which is a nice fancy word for saying, there's not a lot of people doing a whole bunch of work. And so when you get thousands of applications for single jobs or for a hiring fair or anything like that, it can get overwhelming because you want it to be personalized. You don't want anybody who's taken the time to have interest to feel like they are just a number that is applied because everybody brings value to the table. And so not being able to personally respond to, to applicants, like it's even happened in my jobs that I've had when building the team, not being able to respond personally to folks to give them feedback. It helped us get there faster to be able to implement some technology in place that has helped us get through the resumes faster to find the the talent that we're looking that pinpoint that talent because oftentimes we're looking for kind of a needle in a haystack because during stand-up is very different than sustainment and so during stand-up you need folks that are are ready and willing to come in carry multiple buckets of water deal with ambiguity constant change and quite frankly that's just not for everybody as attractive as it sounds it's not for everybody and it can be very overwhelming and the last thing i want to do is not set somebody up for success. We want everybody to come in, right? Everybody wants to feel successful in the work that they're doing, be positive contributors. And so hiring, as we kind of pivot past some of the traditional hiring methods, and we we want to shift over to going towards talent to be very proactive in our talent searches, we've had to have some very honest conversations with folks to make sure that they recognize what they're getting into uh, and to being able to stand it up is stand up the space force rather than just coming into a sustained organization. And that's, that takes a lot of self-awareness on candidates' parts. And I thank them so much because we have had a number of people that said, I've never had somebody be so honest in an interview up front. I really had to look at myself and, and see if I, if I would be willing to move on. And so the candidates that truly say they're ready to move on have gone on with their eyes wide open. And I'm, I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for those very honest conversations that we have back and forth. And I think that helps kind of change the narrative of a very sterile environment. And that's the first steps towards, you know, doing something differently to be competitive in the market is, is that first look into the organization and, and how, just how we're talking and treating our applicants right up front. Yeah, it's almost like you need the entrepreneurs in the world to come out and be dedicated to the Space Force in order to be in that stand-up mode. I mean, would you say you're still in stand-up operations or are you moving more into like some sustainment and it's more of a balance at this point? You hit the nail on the head when you said <laughs> that, that entrepreneurial spirit. 
is, uh, and I've used that more than once in conversations with everybody to get that understanding. And, And if you don't have it, you need to get smart in it really fast, because even if you're comfortable with it, you just have to know that path that's not always clear, right? You're establishing the goals. There's not even goals set yet. You have to establish them. So we're inheriting some things from the Department of Defense, from the federal government, but a lot of things that we have said to define ourselves as, as a digital workforce, to define ourselves as you know something new, something different, requires us to establish new and different standards, let alone even figuring out how to work towards them. So the entrepreneurial phase of it is the perfect word. Where are we at? So we're still in stand-up. And so we have something that we work towards that we say FOC, which is full operating capability, meaning we have all of our positions laid in. We've, we've hired, we kind of know really what our... We know what our end state is supposed to look like. We have a full workforce that's been laid in because it will it's laid in over the course of a number of five years. And so we don't get everybody right away. We didn't we weren't just given a, a bucket of positions and said, here, go hire everybody. It gets laid in. So you had to you had to hire incrementally. And we aren't there yet. We're gonna go through in, in fiscal year 23, we will be going through what will be the last of our biggest hiring surges with the positions being laid in. There will be additional positions that are laid in 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 fiscal year 24. And so by fiscal year 23, we, and the end there, we are supposed to be able to be able to claim that full operating capability. I think we're at the stage right now that that probably is going to be the hardest. And I say that because we're beyond the brand new phase, right? So not everything is new. We're starting to establish things. We're starting to codify things in the direction that we do, but we still have a lot to build. So now we're balancing being plugged into a structure in the Department of Defense, in the Department of the Air Force that is fully established and they run full speed all of the time while still building and developing our organization. And so I say that that's the hardest is because now you have to balance both. We don't get necessarily get a pass because we're brand new. It's going to be really interesting. It's a lot of work for the coming up in this next year to be able to codify our place in in a structure and how we designate ourselves as quote unquote, how we want to do things differently. You only get a free pass for so long, I think, when you're new. And then suddenly it's like, well, you can't be like, I'm the new person at the table. You know, you kind of have to start implementing. And so it's great that you're already in that phase as well as along with the whole continuing on with standing things up. So let's talk about some initiatives that Space Forest has implemented to attract a diverse and experienced workforce. What are some things that you'd say that have been done so far or you hope to do or hope to put in place? So there's a couple that I I really like to talk about. I'm going to preface this whole conversation with Congress, OPM, have given us a lot of authorities. Um, So the department, and I say us, that's the Department of Defense, not Space Force specifically. So on the civilian side of the house, we have a tremendous amount of authorities and flexibilities and not to upset the others out there that might end up hearing this, but I don't think we maximize that to the greatest potential that we could. And so if you're looking to do something differently and you need to do it quickly, then take what's existing to you and maximize the use in that. And that's really the philosophy that we came in with because we knew that a congressional cycle would take a couple of years to recognize. We didn't have a couple of years to pivot and be flexible. And so one of the things that we've looked at is some of the our direct hire usage. And so there's direct hire authorities that are out there, alternative personnel systems that and we have a number of them, you know, whether it's to the acquisition workforce, to the cyber workforce, to the science and technology uh, reinvention laboratories, and also into the Intel personnel systems. And, and they all offer these flexibilities to attract a workforce specifically. And so we looked at maximizing the use right there, right up front. You know, how can we make a big impact and change? 
And so we did that and the direct hire authority allowed us to go after very experienced talent. And unbeknownst to us, like our diversity statistics actually have started to improve over the last year as we start measuring it. So now, you know, we've established our baseline and to be able to see how we're doing with direct hire authority and not, I I don't want to use it and it start having negative impacts um, and not creating the diversity and not just traditional diversity when we look at gender or race, but we want diversity of thought, of background, of experience, you know, people coming from industry, people coming from academia. There's a place for uh, for talent all over the place, not just within DOD and not just within the federal workforce. So a couple of those specific programs, in addition to, to having a direct hire authority to even open up the aperture for the talent that we're looking for, some of the things that we're looking at is a university partnership program, not necessarily the experience side of the house, but we've got, you know, students that are looking to come be that force generation force renewal for us that we're going to have to start developing that talent pipeline because the experience that we're, that we have brought in, it's a significantly aged workforce. Now, this is an issue across the federal government where we look at the aged population and, and that retirement eligible group of folks that what happens if they were all to retire? Where have we developed a talent pipeline? And being a new force, we have to now accelerate our talent pipeline to make sure that we can gap at the senior levels and at the mid-levels. So the university partnership program is a great opportunity with the schools that we've partnered with to attract that diverse talent that also has very space focused occupations and and education offerings. So it matches up really nicely with the talent pipeline that we're looking for. Not to say that we don't look at other schools or anything else, but we just have specific partnerships and agreements with these schools to start developing that talent. The other thing I thought when I first came into this job and I really had to look at was just because we're the smallest of the military departments, just because we've said that we're going to remain lean and agile and mission focused and that we will garner a lot of support from the Department of the Air Force in support style positions, based operating kind of positions, was not going to give our leadership or organization a pass at answering questions like, what are we doing for family members? What are we doing to, to help spouse hiring? What are we doing you know, across the board? And it shouldn't give us a free pass just because of our size. We needed to look creatively and say, how are we going to get after it? And so I mentioned before that we had five of the hardest career fields. And I've told the story a couple of times in different forums. But while I was working on how are we going to address hiring when we don't have traditional jobs that have been available to spouses through traditionally, no, I, I met another spouse as a family member myself, going through the trials and tribulations that I've went through, I've met a number of military spouses throughout the years that have had similar stories. Just what spouses do to support their military members, disrupting their careers to be able to support them, to support families, that it's constant transition and moving. And I've watched very close friends interrupt their careers, very talented people to be able to support the military members and and to be able to support the military overall. And they are some of the most resilient individuals that I, I have ever had the pleasure of meeting. And, and I had to think for a minute, like, how can we do better for spouse hiring within the Space Force when we have so many limited opportunities that are so very focused? And I, I started to say earlier, but I, I met a spouse that I was, as I was talking to her, and she's a business owner. She's a business owner that had just recently gotten recognized with an award-winning app. And the award-winning app 
I asked her about it. I was like, this app is so great. Come to find out she coded the whole thing herself because she taught herself how to code, and, you know, and, and to what level we weren't talking about it. But it all of a sudden, after I'd asked her, well, why aren't you working for the federal government? And she said, that ship has sailed. I tried to get in so many years ago and I couldn't get in. It's a very common story that we continue to hear and, and it, it breaks my heart. But I also just said, we just missed a talent opportunity there. That's a talent pipeline that is amazing. And so a career is not necessarily for everybody, but there's a lot of spouses out there that really do want careers. So what if we can meet them where they're at? What if we can take the experience that they have in so many diverse backgrounds. You'll oftentimes find a spouse that at one base was able to work in accounting and finance, and then they they go to the next base and maybe they end up in some sort of DEIA type environment and then to the next base. And they just continue to build this basket of experience. What if we can capitalize on that? And so that was one of the initiatives that I'm, I'm the most excited about is called what we were calling the Guardian Family Career Program. And so it is not the traditional find a job one one v one at each base and you kind of start over again. This is the opportunity to take and develop talent into a career, a long-term sustainable career. And so this is opportunities that we've identified that are either going to be remote opportunities. So the spouse can follow from base to base, but not have to interrupt their career or we will have figured out that the job is portable to the next base and would able to be supported or sustained there because not every position is remote eligible. And we talk about that here in just a little bit, I think. But how do you balance that and still develop that talent pipeline that we need? So I think out of everything as we develop it, I'm I'm super proud of this opportunity. I've received some really great feedback. We've had good support already up front and so we're seeing some positive results. And so I really look forward to, you know, in a year from now, what does that look like and, and how are we how, how are we help bridging the gap on our talent pipeline and how are we helping military spouses, family members, because it's not for us, it's not limited to just spouses. We're looking at family members all around. So you've got students that are starting to graduate, some from the UPP schools, some from other schools, but they're getting their aeronautical engineering or their scientists or mathematicians, they're contracting experts, you name it, it's, it's the talent that we need. And it's amazing how the loyalty to the service comes into play when you're talking to spouses, family members all around. So just some things that we're doing to, to look at getting after talent that hasn't always been in the traditional arena and to balance that because we know that we're going to continue to battle for talent with private sector, with the rest of the federal government, even with within DOD, we're still, we're going to be um, battling for that ta- that top talent to be able to attract them. And so we've got to be able to to meet folks where they're at and not expect them to come to us. Such, such good points of using the tools that are already available and then being creative and how you're going to brought it and really pulling in the next generation as well as a talent pool that's already sitting, waiting there, ready to be harvested, <laughs> you know, to be put to work in a, in a meaningful way like this. I think that's great. You did mention remote work. We all know that everybody loves to talk about it lately. So what does Space Force's strategy look like for this workplace feature? It's going to be balanced. I, I think you can see right now, if you, if you look in the background, I'm at home. I'm, I'm at a home office. My entire team is remote. And I've, been, I've had the good fortune of having support from my leadership to say, build the team that you need. Go find the talent. Well, the talent that I had wasn't necessarily interested in relocating. So I, you know, doing a human resources function, we're able to connect in many different places. And so you are seeing pockets 
of remote more and more. And I want to continue to see that grow within the Space Force. But let's be very real. There are a lot of positions within the Space Force that are not conducive to remote. So again, it's that balance of how do we push technology to be able to have remote opportunities and maximize the use of remote where it makes sense and maximize the use of telework. So maybe it's not just remote work, it's telework so that you can have some flexibility that you don't have to be going into the office every day. But with space, and if you're launching satellites and you know monitoring and, and you're on an operations floor, there are times that you do need to be in the office and physically there in an environment that just can't be supported from home. And that's where when we start talking about maximizing the use of telework, well, while they do need to be on the operations floor, there's a lot of things that could be done from home. Say, you know, if you had training days or things that you're doing in an environment that doesn't require you to be secure or in person, it's going to be a balance. We're going to continue to push towards maximizing the remote environment, maximizing the telework environment. But there's also something just as attractive about saying that you work in a secret environment that, you know, that you have to be in into work and have to be into that environment. And I think wholeheartedly people that want to support a mission that truly understand the space is doing and supporting in the defensive space are, is going to understand that because they're going to want to support that mission. So we've got a lot more work to do in the federal level. And quite frankly, we've got some technology challenges that we need to build an infrastructure that can support that. My team has been awesome at, at forging through and learning a lot of that, but that's, that's been learning through and pushing through improvements to make sure that we can support that infrastructure. Having conversations with organizations that already are embracing a remote environment or a, a maximized telework environment, we have to understand, you know, what are some best practices? How do we avoid pitfalls? Um, so that we're setting folks up for success so that we're still able to support mission readiness. Because at the end of the day, if we're not ready to defend against attacks, then we're losing that battle. We've got to be very cautious when we move into it to make sure that we're, we're set up for success. Absolutely. No one wants a remote environment for the DOD, you know, at the cost of the mission, you know, at achieving that. So I think that's an important piece to balance in there. And I think having the balance and the flexibility options and having that as the mindset that you've mentioned is a key differentiating factor and really needed within the Department of Defense, I think. And that does make it a standout, <laughs> I think, to candidates as well, as long as that's the posture of desiring flexibility, it can kind of take you a long way with them. Because we know that you said it's a really attractive place for candidates. A lot of people want to come there. What would you say that candidates can do to increase their success in getting hired with Space Force? So the success in getting hired in Space Force, I'm going to say right now, and any recruiter out there um, can, can validate this for me, is you've got a 10-second look, right, at somebody's resume. And that's not, this is reality. I'm, I'm going to give this to you in reality. If we've got hundreds of resumes to look at, then what are you trying to tell us in 10 seconds? Like, what am I looking for on the page that's going to make you stand out? Personally, I, I don't want to be seeing, you know, a 10-page resume. We're, we're actually working on the policy now to make to limit to five pages or less. And even then, I think five pages is, is significantly too long. There's a balance between what that first page says. And so if you're applying for a job, then make sure that you're specifically highlighting your successes to that job. There's going to be time for development and development opportunities. But right now, what space needs is that experience to be able to come in to hit the ground running, to be able to help establish the organization. And so you need to be telling us right up front is why you're successful. If you're not coming in based on reputation, right, you know, in, in the name recognition, then we know you've done great things. We know that you're going to bring a lot to the table. Tell us that right up front. 
you know, what catches your eye, what catches somebody's eye to say, hey, we've had this experience. What am I looking for? I'm looking for words like space, you know, and, and where you've had that experience. And just because you haven't had experience in space doesn't necessarily mean we're not going to look at you. But if you're in acquisitions and I don't see anything about acquisitions on the first page because maybe you're doing something different or you applied for a different job, I'm going to be hard pressed to, to pass you on because that doesn't look like if you have recent and relevant experience. So make sure that you're really focused on what you're applying to and, and read the job announcements carefully. Nothing is more frustrating going through resumes and somebody, you can tell like they are go-getters and they, they've got it. But when I'm recruiting for a senior seasoned person, I need senior seasoned experience. And so read that job description carefully. Our managers are completing something called the ideal candidate worksheet. And it's exactly what it sounds like. Our ideal candidate will have this. And that translates to what is in that announcement. That's what we're looking for. We don't want to be having to interview quantities of people. We want to find the right candidate, the right fit for the organization. So again, read carefully on the announcement and match your resume. If you've got the qualifications, you've got the qualifications. If you don't, you don't. But I'm pretty sure there's going to be another job that comes along that you are going to, and that will be the right fit at the right time. Yeah, that's, I think it's a great advice there. Tell them in, what can you tell them in 10 seconds? Because <laughs> it really is like, you're, you're, don't make your recruiter try to be your career coach, like to take your resume and try to find something for you. There are times for that, <laughs> obviously, if you know somebody and they're trying to connect you, but when you're applying to a specific position, that's not the time for that. So that's great advice. So how about, let, let's finish off with any top jobs you're currently hiring for and where could candidates go if they're interested in working for the Space Force? What should they do next? Terrific. Yes. So we've got we've got some fun jobs that we are hiring for across the board. Again, we're always looking for acquisition specialists. We're always looking for space operators, space intelligence, and then our big ones, right? So we get into data and artificial intelligence and the cyber workforce and, and what we're doing in innovation. And, and innovation isn't necessarily always technology, but a lot of times the technology drives the, the innovation or innovation drives technology. So kind of having that, that experience and background there. Those are the big ones that we're looking for. And then just really talented, I, I said acquisitions, but also talented financial management programmers. And I say programmers in the, the financial budgeting side of the house are going to be key. And then I also know that we've got some, we're, we're going to have a good need for legislative affairs and how we balance our relationship and messaging to the Hill is very important. So seasoned and experienced legislative affairs uh, folks will be looking for you too. And where can you find the jobs? So I mentioned before direct hire authority, and that means, you know, that might not mean anything to, to the listener, but some of our positions are on the Air Force Civilian Career Service website, and some of our positions are on USA Jobs. And as an applicant, you're probably saying, why are they all over the place? What is going on? If you're interested in applying and you want to submit your resume for just because you want it in consideration, or if you want it because you're applying for a specific job and, and you want to know the areas that we're recruiting for and the locations that we're recruiting for them, it's all going to be there, spaceforce.com. And we're targeted to have that up here in, in the next couple of months. What we try to do, because we again, we want truth in lending, is navigating everybody to where that information is. That's great. And it's been really great chatting with you, Chris. Thanks so much for joining us and, and telling us all about how to get connected at Space Force. Well, thank you so much for this opportunity. I love the opportunity to talk about Space Force. I mean, my kids very anecdotally thought 
I was cool for about two seconds <laughs> when I told them I was coming to Space Force. They thought it was the TV show. It's very young enough. It's it's fair. Um, so they thought I was really cool. They didn't hear the HR piece of it ahead of time. Um, <laughs> then I explained to them what space was and and they were like, huh, okay. And then we talked through. Now they think it's just the most amazing thing now that they understand what what Space Force does, how we get to partner with with great names like NASA and you know that we are more than a TV show is so important, but it's also something that we have to overcome on the reputation side of the house. But it's okay um, because just space alone is such a cool mission. And you know anybody that works at Space Force because if you see me, I'm already drinking out of my Yeti. <laughs> and we have our lanyards and we have our pins. And oftentimes we'll be on calls and people have their flags in the background or we have our t-shirts on. And we're just really proud of like what we're being able to build and that culture and that establishment. And so it's, to be able to, to say that we're doing something differently just attracts a lot of people that want to do differently and, and have that outside the box mindset and mentality. It's a really exciting time to be here into an organization like this for a really important mission. And so when you want to talk about what attracts folks to space, they, they understand already. Like, there's an article out there with General Raymond, who's our chief of space operations, who has talked about how you use space, you know, multiple times before you've even gotten up. And if you drink coffee, you've had your first cup of coffee, you know, and, and what you do and how you use it. So it's not such a it's not such a mystery to the rest of the general American public, but what we're doing to defend space, the, the threat is, is out there and, and you hear it in the news almost daily. And, right. and to be a part of that is, is just such a, a fascinating opportunity. It's been exciting to watch and obviously exciting for me to be able to hear firsthand from you what goes into, you know, standing up a military branch. You know, I think it's historic and it's exciting to, to watch that all unfold. Well, thank you so much for joining us today at ClearCast. For more security clearance news and defense information, please visit us at news.clearancejobs.com.